Hey guys, I'm Bacola Dekeloke, brand consultant and founder of the Global Fashion Marketplace. Working with fashion brands on sustainability has its challenges and we're all on that sustainable fashion journey together. I often have some really great conversations about how to move the fashion industry forward and now I'd like to share those conversations with you. We're going to be hearing from industry experts from across the globe about how to transform the fashion industry into a more sustainable model. Okay, so the event is now in process. So um, I'm Bacola Dagaloke, I'm a brand and business consultant, and my company is the Global Fashion Marketplace. So the Global Fashion Marketplace is a um, business development agency, and we're focusing on sustainability and innovation. And Clubhouse Fashion is our signature event. We've, um, this is the third time we're doing it. And basically, it's a platform for conversation um, to look for solutions to solve um, sustainability issues in the industry. So we have panel discussions, industry experts share their expertise and people can get some knowledge. <laughs> so we've got um, quite a few people speaking today um, that are here and have something um, very interesting to share. So um, we've got some ladies in this corner. We've got Susanna, Eleanor, Liv, Katrina and Ishita. So I think you guys might have seen them um, before coming to the event. You might know a bit more about them. And these guys are a, a young group from the University of Leeds that have been working on a research project to do with Industry 4.0. I was actually at the university um, on a Dragon's Den panel and we had to select out how many students, how many groups, there was hundreds of them. <laughs> there was like, there was loads of groups. Um, Maybe 20 groups? 24 groups of 10? Five. Five, yeah. okay. Well, there's a lot of groups of students presenting different ideas, and there were a few fashion groups, and I thought the, these guys' um, concept, so it was the innovation challenge, I thought these guys' concept sounded really um, realistic, and I thought more people from the industry should um, hear about it. So that's why they're here to introduce Industry 4.0, the technologies that are already available and how they um, feel that it can combat the issue of waste and overprodu overproduction. Yeah. yeah. So that's, that's why they're here. Um, the global fashion marketplace interest in this discussion is because we're focused on data collection. So we want to work with brands and help them move into using AI to solve problems and I see like there are quite a few different ways that you can use AI um, to solve problems. I've actually got a list here because I couldn't memorize everything so I'm going to just introduce a few points for you guys and, and their, in, their presentation and my brief introduction is just to position you guys for your discussion so some people might know more than others but these like few um, insights might help you start thinking about how to solve these problems. So when it comes to AI, um, data collection is the foundation of obviously machine learning. So the work at the Global Fashion Marketplace is to help brands understand how to collect the right data and then how to start using that data to solve problems. So there's a whole wide range of problems that can be solved and that's what we're going to be discussing today and um, 
just a few ideas just relating to AI, not relating to the whole industry 4.0 concept, but um, so this classification, so that's when you classify clusters of information. Um, that is how you can use machines and data to solve some problems. So an example would be um, to identify whether an, a specific object or like a truck or a car or a product is coming off a manufacturing line, like quality control. So you can use classification to classify products in that way. Then there's also prediction. So forecasting sales, demands, predicting, um, demand for products um, using sales figures and things like that. There's also clustering. So clustering would be creating sets of consumer segments and things like that. So demographics, people's preferences, buyer behavior and things like that. So that's a way that you could use data. So optimization. So you could use data um, for generating like a route for a vehicle to use less fuel or something like that. You could use optimization in that way. Um, so anomaly detection as well. So detecting if there's like, um, using like historical data to detect if there's an issue or something within a cluster of information. So that could be a way that the data could be used. Um, recommendation system, so we've seen that already in um, Facebook and things like that. They're recommending Amazon, recommending products and things like that. And um, so there are just a few ways. Obviously, I've been so busy today, so I just made a few notes just to cover those things. So um, where I think the fashion industry should have this kind of conversation is that we generally see these kind of things in other industries, but the fashion industry is not really embracing using data to, to um, solve problems in these areas, and it's readily available. So that's why we've got some amazing fashion people here that can go away and have conversations about these type of things and how they can be implemented. So um, the reason why um, is because, as we all know, we're in kind of a climate crisis now, and we've got apparently like 10 years to try and resolve this issue um, to do with climate change. And the fashion industry, as you all know, is the biggest, one of the biggest polluters. So how can we act fast? How can we make changes in processes to actually solve this problem within 10 years? So the global fashion marketplace is partnered with the UN Sustainable Development Goals. So our focus is responsible consumption and production. So I feel like AI and um, other, other um, new technologies can actually speed up, accelerate changes and um, solve problems a lot quicker. So I think it's a good conversation to have and, and explore. So that's why we're doing that. So. Um, Guys, do you want to introduce yourself? So, um, yeah, introduce sure. yourselves and so, then great. go ahead. Okay, yeah. so I'm Julian. I'm Josh. I'm Charlie. Yeah, we're from the University of Leeds. I'm just going to be taking you through some of the ways we think Industry 4.0 can benefit the fashion industry. Hopefully, we won't bore you completely to death before the uh, super interesting panel discussion later. So, yeah. So, what is Industry 4.0 then? So, if we take a look back, 
before we go forward. Um, the first industrial revolution led to the mechanization of manufacturing by relying on steam-powered technologies, starting around 1760 and giving birth to the factory as we know it. This paved the way for the urbanization of society, which had been focused on farming prior. At the dawn of the 20th century, we got the second industrial revolution, or industry 2.0, that's what the cool kids called it. So uh, this was when family, uh, factory production got scientific, giving birth to the assembly line. This was the driving force behind mass manufacture and essentially ushered in the modern world as we know it. Industry 3.0 was next, the digital revolution. So this actually started way back in the 1950s. I was surprised to find that. Uh, so from semiconductors right through to the internet. The move from mechanical devices to digital technology dramatically disrupted industries. Electronics and information technology began to automate processes and took supply chains global. So while that's all well and good, uh, reductions in production line, uh, sorry, pardon me. So while reductions in production time, increased accuracy, lower labor costs and higher volumes are all great, uh, is this digital technology that essentially opened the door to things like fast fashion and all of its environmental impacts. So mobile internet browsing, social media, online purchasing, combined with this ability to produce high quantities of clothing at a low cost, has only added fuel to the fire since the early 2000s. So 2020 then, the present, where are we now? Fast fashion remains at large, unfortunately, and we still don't have flying cars. But we do have the Internet of Things, machine learning, miniaturized sensors, and cyber-physical systems. It's technologies like these that really define the power behind Industry 4.0 and separate a regular, boring, traditional factory from a smart factory. By providing production line machinery with intelligence and a means of communication, we're essentially starting to hand over the reins to the robotics meaning that they'll be able to self-monitor and react to outside influences without human involvement. So as of February 2019, the fashion industry was the world's third largest manufacturing sector, but apparently we're still losing between roughly 400 and 500 billion dollars in value each year as a result of under-recycling. So uh, 2.6 tons of garments were being sent to landfill, uh, apologies, 2.6 tons of garments were being burnt in landfill every second and a large percentage of those were actually still perfectly wearable. So this is largely due to fast fashion's linear model of buy, wear, discard. And uh, it's likely to continue, unfortunately, until fashion firms can entice users to a more circular style of consumption. However, it's not all bad. So while not being able to necessarily completely cancel out fast fashion's impacts, we think the Industry 4.0 technology can begin to remedy some of the sustainability issues that the industry faces across both manufacturing and supply chains. So Josh will now take you through some of the benefits for manufacturing. So, Industry 4.0 in garment manufacturing. This essentially marks a transition towards greater, more advanced automation of processes in a factory. Uh, from sorting and distributing different types of buttons to stitching to packing lorries. What makes this different from your bog standard automated production line is the Internet of Things, or IoT. This refers to the ever-growing network of physical objects that are connected to the Internet, which allows them to communicate amongst each other by sending and receiving data. In this context, 
all the machines involved in garment production would have embedded sensors enabling them to send out data continuously. For example, if an item's thickness or if seams have been sewn in a t-shirt. When this data is processed with machine learning, it can be used to make informed decisions on the manufacturing line. This basically uh, means the production line can become self-monitoring and even self-improving if fed the right kind of data. We believe that this is where the biggest benefit to sustainability in fashion manufacturing lies, with smart production lines' ability to improve the efficiency of processes over time, more data, more efficient. Where mass customization in clothing is nothing new. Nike ID launched. Um, Nike ID was launched in 1999, which lets you customize certain parts of the shoe. That, that's <laughs> the name on the tab. Yeah. I love these things. It's, but, yeah. 1999 too, that's the year I was born, so that's when I, yeah. <laughs> the, problem, the problem here though is that you're working off a template with a number of limited personalization options costing more and taking more time. And many, many companies such as Nike still make shoes by hand, meaning that each unique feature only adds a load of energy and intensity of production. Um, mass customization is important though because consumers could get exactly what they want from a garment with little effort, especially compared to today's market where with online purchasing there's a lot, if not too much choice. Um, the case study we produced last semester, which Pecola saw, um, started out as an idea for reducing clothing waste and carbon emissions by cutting down the number of returned clothing items. Um, but it, upon reviewing advancements in automation and efficiency, our idea became a prediction of where we think mass customization in fashion and apparel could go with Industry 4.0. The ability of smart production machinery to interpret data would offer more agility to manufacturing processes. So profiles for dresses could be updated on the fly for custom machines. Specific buttons could be sorted and distributing using those smart labels talked about earlier. A different threads could be swapped in and out almost instantly. This would enable more precise personalization of garment templates, not only in colors and patterns, but also working towards a more tailored fit, and given that the right data was provided in the first place. And, and this is how we aim to dissuade consumers from returning garments ordered online, by making sure that the product they receive is exactly what they expected, um, the exact shape, size, and style. And they could have experienced this through virtual reality, in, in artificial reality, reality on the phone. Um, and the efficiency of the processes involved could also bring down prices and reduce delivery times overall. So Industry 4.0's potential to offer in-depth customization with a quick turnaround could entice users away from fast fashion's linear style and cons consumption, or at the very least begin to lengthen its life cycle due to its increased sentimental value and increased recyclability. However, the, the benefits will remain to be seen as we work towards wider automation, and it's likely that fast fashion will stick around in the years to come, or at least until the next industrial revolution. <laughs> okay, so I think that sets a bit of... It was a lot, a lot of information, but I thought they came up with such a strong concept and, a, and a potential solutions, but obviously these need to be verified and tested. So a lot of you guys are industry experts, these guys are research students. So um, it would be good to just get some questions or some feedback on what they, their ideas and um, if, if they've got mentioned things that you want them to elaborate on or if you've got questions or feedback on the concept, how realistic it is to implement that. It would be good to just like share 
your thoughts on, on what they've just shared with you guys? So, um, I'm missing about the, the shipping, the freight mm. and the pollution, um, that's mm. something that really interests me and um, just interested in sort of the solution to that, is that kind of localised mm. I think the idea was that with the higher level of automa automation you could get as the technology develops, uh, you essentially can reduce the size of operations due to the increase in efficiency. So that could open up the doors to yeah, just manufacturing in smaller sites, which could make uh, manufacturing nationally a bit more of a you know, financially viable option. And one of the main reasons they're made over in India and Vietnam and stuff is because of the cheap labour. And with this system, you don't have as much human labour. It's all machines, and yeah. hopefully all in one place in the country where it's meant to be sold. Which, uh, which actually, uh, Clark's, the mm. shoe company in the UK, tried this, the mm. kind of automated, uh, automated factory, I can't remember what they called it, but um, it was supposed to be this amazing robot-driven factory, yeah. um, and they just shut it. Oh, really? They yeah, just did the same thing. Right. Yeah. They implemented a whole, they built a whole factory mm. in Germany, and that was, you know, mm. the big um, yeah. uh, sort of news, yeah. and everybody was excited about this, mm. you know, mm. the way forward. And they realised they took the livelihood, obviously, and, and jobs from yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I think it'll probably be more of a long-term solution because, yes, you're taking away jobs, but you could argue that you're maybe creating higher-value jobs, you know, in the sense of, um, you know, coding, software development, stuff like that. So it's probably a matter of, you know, yeah. playing the long game, essentially. But, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I yeah. <laughs> yeah, know exactly. Yeah, that's, yeah. It's, it's yeah. very high startup costs as well. <laughs> yeah. I think this is a really interesting conversation because a lot of people do have anxiety about AI and obviously introductory 4.0 or how that is going to affect um, livelihoods and things like that. So I think as the conversation progresses, maybe if we kind of think like in a problem-solving way, like this sounds really good for the greater good, how, how would industry adopt this and what changes need to happen? I think um, Ishita um, has set up by rotation, which is the first UK's first um, rental fashion rental app. So that is going to impact the way people, consumers, engage with fashion. But that's an interesting and important change, consumer behaviour. So there will be other aspects of change that needs to happen and maybe weighing up what, what is the cost-benefit of those things. That might be a way to approach the conversation as well. Yeah. Any more questions? Yeah, I, um, one thing that I'm interested in is prediction. Um, for example, if you look at the luxury industry, and I did a couple of years in retail, and you see that you know when the buyer gets it wrong, when a human gets it wrong, mm. and then also how is a machine supposed to predict like what will sell mm. compared to a human? Like, how is right? Is there a balance between humans and systems? Like, what do you think about that? Do you mean in terms of like predicting trends and stuff? So I mean, in terms of predicting trends and predicting, like, for example. Well, it's the human input into our app in the first place that would set what they want to order, what they want to buy. I think um, it yeah. probably comes down to a case of um, it was that thing about. 
it, it came down to that thing of like um, more data, more efficient. So it might just come down again to that sort of thing of playing the long game. You know, I think the systems could potentially get smarter over time and be able to interpret. You know, if they've got the experience, they might be able to interpret that data in new ways and. I think um, I was actually listening to a podcast. I listen to these artificial intelligence podcasts occasionally. So um, they were speaking, they were interviewing someone from YouTube. So YouTube do the prediction and they do the um, recommendation thing and they've got really good at it. So one thing that they were saying about, like even identifying what videos to show people, that it's a balance that like people say algorithms or AI and things like that, but they just um, make decisions based on what humans do. So it's a, it's a relationship of the AI needs the data, but the humans provide the data. So there's always going to be that relationship that the AI can't actually function without the human input. So I think um, when it leads back to your question, it's, it's going to be balancing that relationship of humans collecting data organizing data, putting it into machine learning, and then training the machines. And over time, the machines will then get to train themselves and improve themselves. But then there's also this issue of bias. So you can train a machine, but if you're, like, for example, how, how it works. Um, actually, just to um, elaborate why I know a little bit about this stuff, um, I'm actually a Microsoft partner as well. So I've been studying machine learning and focusing on the data collection aspects and getting the, the, the right clean data for the machines to do the, the job. So that's that's how I'm, how I'm kind of exposed to these concepts. So um, the point I was trying to make about the relationship between um, oh, bias. Okay, so for example, if I am training a machine and I say have a green, a green top and an orange top, if I tell the machine that the green is orange and the orange is green, then the machine is going to learn that the green is orange, the orange. As a human, I know I lied to the machine, but the machine will take my bias or my wrong information and start learning that until I throw in maybe blue and then another orange then the, and tell the machine that that's orange, that's blue. Then the machine will then learn, oh, you said that was orange and that's green. And then it will learn itself out of the problems. So that's how data and machine learning actually work. So, yeah. Does that answer your question? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Could I add a little bit to it? Yeah, yeah. Um, you'd use a reinforcement learning algorithm for that. Um, so with reinforcement learning, it works a bit like the brain. The more you do like happy stuff, like that makes you um, feel good, the more it will bias towards that trend. So if you gave it a massive data set, and you probably have to do like some dimensional reduction on that, um, you could basically, it would learn from previous examples and stuff, what would be in fashion and what wouldn't be, or what would sell and what wouldn't sell, based on the previous data. But I think what the power is with um, machine learning and AI is that it does it in like a millisecond. So the, the decision, even if I put the wrong data in, the decision for a human being to work out actually someone put an anomaly in here, this is not orange, this is green, would might take a few iterations to figure that out, whereas the machine can just do it so fast that it can actually learn these problems quicker than a human would discover them. And that's why 
the machines can actually solve some of these sustainability issues with the right, as long as you collect the right information, ask the right questions, put the right information in, then you can analyse the data coming out as a human. You can say, actually, that's something I wouldn't have thought of. That is a different process that I wouldn't have come to that conclusion. So that's where the machines come in handy. Do, do you guys have any... Yes, I would yeah. to ask you more about the supply chain assembly part where you use data and how would that look like really? Um, because how can fabric can be changed or how do you see that really happening with uh, so you mean like how it can determine between different yeah. materials and stuff? Yeah. This was using the uh, near-field communication and the, the tagging. Do you want to take this? Yeah. Um, so you could either do it like Julian says, with the smart tags. So that could be like, when it's the place it comes from, that would be like type of fabric, you get what I mean? And that would be on the tag, and it would tell like by that. Or it could tell by using a CNN which is, um, it takes an image and it says what the image is. The certain materials look differently, and you can identify them based on like how it looks. Mm. So you could do either of two approaches. I'm not entirely sure if the CNN approach would work completely, but it's just a theory that I thought of mm. in the spot. Yeah, no, I think there's probably a, a multitude of ways for diff to doing that. The, the NFC kind of works just like a, almost like Apple Pay, you know? So it's like a sensor would pick it up by proximity. So, That's but they're Apple Pay users. Sorry? That's what Apple Pay users. Yeah, yeah, so there you go. So, um, it, yeah, so it, those labels. Those obviously it's amazing. Yeah. Reality's going to be different. No, of course, yeah, yeah there's always going to be challenges actually implementing it, yeah, yeah. No, of course. Okay, so we started about 15 minutes late, but I do want to keep the schedule, so I think we can like catch up with ourselves. So now this is the opportunity for us to swap over to the panel discussion. I hope this has been, in. I think these guys are amazing and really insightful what they're working on. And thanks for validating their ideas and even challenging um, them with questions. So this opportunity for you guys to just mingle together. Um, you can continue the conversation one-to-one, -one, ask further questions, and then we're going to get the panel ready for their introductions and then the questions. But this is an open conversation, so it doesn't mean stop talking to these guys. It means the panel will introduce themselves. There'll be questions that they answer. Then there's audience participation, so you guys can add into what they're saying as well. So it's like an open discussion. of the Sustainable Fashion Podcast. We visit our experts at Clubhouse Fashion as they explore technology solutions for sustainable fashion. The question is, how will technology impact the fashion industry in the next 10 years?